Welcome to Productivity Book Group. I'm your host and facilitator, Ray Sidney Smith. Thanks for joining here live or listening in on the podcast after the fact to Productivity Book Group's discussion of The Home Edit, A Guide to Organizing and Realizing Your House Goals by Clea Scherer and Joanna Teplin. We'll talk a little bit about the authors and then a little bit about the book, and then we'll get into the conversation. So uh, Clea and Joanna are both California transplants. I'm pulling this from, I believe, their website or the Amazon description. I don't remember where I, I actually lifted this from, but I'm quoting here. Clea and Joanna are both California transplants currently living in Nashville. Brought together by a mutual friend, it was friendship at first text and business partnership immediately thereafter. The goal in starting the Home Edit, or THE, was to reinvent traditional organizing and merge it with design and interior styling. While every project is rooted in functional systems that can be maintained for the long term, there is just as much emphasis placed on transforming the space visually and adding their signature stylized aesthetic." End quote. And then about the book, it says, quote, from the home organizers who made their orderly eye candy the method that everyone swears by comes Joanna and Clea's signature approach to decluttering. The home edit walks you through paring down your belongings in every room, arranging them in a stunning and easy to find way, hello labels, and maintaining the system so you don't need another do-over in six months. Six months. When you're done, you're not only you not only know exactly where to find things, but you'll also love the way it looks, end quote. And so the book is structured in uh, four parts, well, three big uh, parts, and then they have a final chapter. And so it's the edit, the assembly, and then the upkeep. And then they have a final chapter called How to Stay Inspired. And so let's start off with, what did you think of the book generally? What were the things that kind of sparked uh, interest and intrigue with regard to the book? And we can start kind of there with your initial thoughts about the book. Frank, do you want to get us started? Sure. Um, first of all, it's just a beautiful book. Just the look of the book with all of the pictures in there. Uh, you just want to salivate as you look through here. And it's one of those where you don't have to read the whole thing. You know, you can just dive into where you're having a little problem and even just looking at the pictures and going, oh, okay, I could go do that. Uh, so that's what struck me first. And I'll, I'll let someone else chime in. I'll say this, that I started with the audiobook, and my intention was to just listen to the audiobook. And so <laughs> uh, I, I definitely uh, learned and I recommend to anyone that you actually do get the physical book, even if you are listening to the audiobook along the way, because I was listening for at least, I don't know, the first part of the book. And then I realized that they were talking about photographs. <laughs> that I was not seeing. And so then I got the book and then it all started to make sense to me because they were clearly utilizing photographs of their work and explaining that. And, you know, I had the book playing on maybe 2.53 X. So I would just, you know, I was just listening along and having a good time and realizing that I was just a little bit confused as to why their material was, a, was maybe just very direct. They were just describing things and then moving along in very clear clear wordage, which was efficient, but I, I wasn't digesting. And so I had to double back and say, okay, there's something wrong here. And that's when I went and got the book and then realized there are all these photographs they're referencing here. And then as they make their way through the book, they then they then note, yeah, we're referencing this or go back to our Instagram feed and you can see the archive of these images and that's going to be a more, more useful to you. And so the book and the images in the book are actually really necessary for you to digest what they're really talking about here. Anyone else with thoughts? I see Usha joining. 
joined. Hi, Usha. Hi, Ray. I was trying to unmute myself. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no worries. Yeah, what no were your initial... for joining late. I, hmm? I got a phone call just before and I shouldn't have answered it. But anyway, it was from family, so I took the call. Um, so overall, I, I, I'm sorry I missed the introduction here with everybody, but um, I did not care. I'll throw it out there and I'm trying to find my notes. I read the book a while back and I read the paper copy of the book. And mm-hmm. uh, for various reasons, it didn't appeal to me. And I'm trying to pull out my notes so I can look at it. Very rarely do I not like a book that I read. It's almost always that, you know, you find some value in it. But this one did not get to me. So I am curious, which is part of the reason I wanted to make sure I joined the call so I could see, you know, what the rest of you were getting out of it and thinking, you know, am I missing something here? Anyway, but- enough on that. I'm, I'm trying to pull up my notes. I'm going to go back on mute till I find my notes here. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be I'll be curious what your notes are on this because the the thoughts I have are perhaps that there was maybe something not novel about the book that you didn't recognize the value in it because it wasn't novel information or that you you know it wasn't presented in a way that spoke to you. I'm very curious about all those pieces because you know it's always good for us to be mindful of books that speak to us and ones that don't, and uh, so that's always a good thing. Anyone yeah, else? I found my notes. I found my notes. So let me know what <laughs> I'm in with the notes. You know, yeah, this go, is interesting. Go for it. This yeah. is interesting from a tech standpoint. I captured the notes on my phone um, under the notes app. So I would have it no matter where I was, um, you know, during this phone call. And I looked on my computer. I'm at my computer right now. And I looked on the computer and the notes on the app, on the computer, it doesn't show up, but on my phone, it does. So there's something about the syncing. I think I got to look, but anyway, yeah, yeah. so is, is this the right time you want me to chime in or maybe yeah, I should yeah. wait till the rest of you talk first? No, no, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So I think this is what, this was the reason um, uh, it turned me off early on. My first few comments were don't recommend it, meaning I don't recommend it. It was written more from their point of view versus the customer. I think maybe that was the biggest thing. Me. Yeah. Uh, I see Frank nodding. I don't know if, uh, you know, you picked up on something similar. Um, and then the other one was uh, the Netflix episode was a turnoff. Um, so I watched I watched the Netflix episodes. I think I watched two maybe. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I thought to myself, if I had seen the episodes before I read the book, I probably would not have even touched it. <laughs> so I think it was now it's coming back to me a little bit. You know, it's the giddy, starstruck <laughs> Yeah, I, I can see Linda laughing here, but, uh, you know, all of that, I think was just, I mean, it, again, I think it depends on who the book is uh, targeted towards as an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. If it's the people who really, you know, if it's the broader public that you think you want to be able to reach out to people who may really be struggling with it, may want to improve, um, you know, their life in many different ways, then that's not the way you know, you would approach it. That seemed to be something more along. But and maybe this is not a good comparison, but, you know, kind of like the Kardashians. I've never watched it. Uh, all I know is what I hear about in the media. As soon as I hear the word, I change the channel. But, yeah. but you know, it was almost like that. So uh, let me go through a couple more here very quickly, and then I'll pause so the rest of you can talk. And then, of course, it's Ray, as you said, no new concepts um, for me. And then it also advocated spending a lot of money on supplies, which would bring them revenue. So to me, that seemed very self-serving. It's one thing to say, hey, you know, these kind of containers or whatever will help you. uh, So you don't have to search around, but you could also use, you know, X, Y, and Z. That would cater to 
more of the general public. But it, again, to me, it came across as it, it's all self-serving. It's all about me. How can I make money? You know, and, and that was a huge turnoff. Um, and then the other thing was <laughs> two other comments they talked about. In my mind, it was like first world problems, talking about lattes and champagne. I mean, that's not going to appeal to the majority of the audience. So again, it's, you know, who are you targeting the book towards, right? Um, and then last but not least, and I've got a whole few more paragraphs of it, but the last uh, was that most closets aren't that big. The most closets, people don't have the luxury of having the big closets, especially one dedicated to, you know, come on, let's be realistic. If, if you're going to just throw that out as an, you know, as a funny, humorous thing, that's fine. But for most of the other people, they don't have closets that big. In the suburbs, I'm fortunate, I do have big closets. But for people who don't, even with, you know, homes that are over a million dollars in, you know, in um, asset value or whatever, when they don't have that, then this becomes not very practical. And again, you could say, well, how many people living in New York City would this appeal to? But then I'm back to who's your target audience. So enough on that. I said a lot. I dumped a lot. Yeah, I I also had watched some of the Netflix. I was really looking forward to it, but then just got into the first episode and it was more of a lifestyle of the rich and famous sort of thing. It it seemed to be targeted more toward who was the star rather than here are concepts that the average person can use. So um, I, I think seeing the Netflix was a just as for you was a minus rather than a plus. Now, I did read the whole book, liked the book a whole lot better than I did uh, you know, watching the Netflix. One one thing I did notice about this, you know, uh, Ray, we did uh, Marie Kondo, and that philosophy was you, you sort of need to organize your house all at the same time. You know, pull the books from everywhere in the house and put them together. And this emphasizes, you know, just start somewhere. If you just start with a drawer, start with a drawer uh, and just you know, work little individual sections, which I think is easier to digest for the average person. But it also said, you know, you have to empty all the contents of the drawer. And, right, yeah. Uh, you know, that you kind of thing. So, yes, yeah. but, but, it, but yeah. it definitely is more chunked down in that mm-hmm. sense. There's a lot of uh, KonMari method built into what they're talking about throughout the book as well. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the Marie method is more for people with small spaces because I don't even think she addresses kitchens in that book. I remember looking at it going, where's the, does she not cook? Do her parents cook for her? What's going on here? Uh, but I think it's like this. I have this apartment that's this big and I can just dump like on my bedroom. I can dump everything on the floor and do it in one day or whatever. When you have an actual house and closets and this is probably more for people who have large houses who have space to display there. So I'll give you my um, impression. I was disappointed in the book too, Usha. I, um, my disappointment was that this was a $25 book and this, this is the content. I mean, page 58 is when we stop with actual content and just show pictures, which I could just see on Instagram probably. So that was, that was a little disappointing, but I, I, we have a lot of, we own a lot of books in my house. And so, um, I don't have a problem buying a book with pictures because we have lots of those, but my problem with the rest of the book was it's all the same white aesthetic of total boredom to me. It's like, I wouldn't follow any of this aesthetic. This is not my aesthetic. It would have been to me much more interesting to show different people organization, as opposed to all the same person. Like this is the only page that appealed to me. I was like, oh, something not white. (laughs) 
not that there's anything wrong with white, but I personally wouldn't decorate my entire house white. That's not my aesthetic. So it was difficult for me to, you know, I kind of got bored. I was like looking at the same picture over and over again of the same, I mean, label everything, put it in a closet is you don't need a hundred pictures to show that it's a simple concept, but um, I did, I did find like some things helpful. I mean, I'm not a Marie Kondo person. I'm definitely more of the Julie Morgenstern type. I don't dump everything out in the house on the floor. Otherwise you wouldn't be able to see me right now. Um, but the, um, the whole thing about the, where she, where they, excuse me, classified the rooms and spaces as hard medium. I thought that was interesting. Easy is do a drawer. I thought some of the stuff in the front was, was helpful, but it wasn't, I think, I think you're right. You this is not a book for people who have studied organization. You know, if you've been reading organizing books for the last 30 years, this is not a book that's going to be like, Oh, I got to go out and get that to learn something new. This is for people who probably haven't organized anything and need to know how to start. It's pretty much a basic, I think book. Um, and maybe there's stuff I missed. I wrote, read it three months ago. So there might be things I forgot. Um, but I read Julie Morgenstern, what, 20 years ago? And I remember those concepts. So. If I can chime in here very quickly. Yeah, you're right on. At the Morgan Stearns, again, I remember stuff. And more recently, recently, as in, I don't know, in the last three or four years, I came across some old podcasts of hers and I listened to it. And, you know, th- there's always stuff that either that you've forgotten or it's a good refresher or, you know, it's something that you say, ah, I want to, you know, share this with somebody else. Um, so, yes, that I thought, you know, appealed in a broader sense. But there was one other comment. Let me just share this. I'm looking at my notes. And then I know there's other people on the call. So uh, I'll, I'll hold back from the rest of my comments. In, in one place, she says in this book, uh, they took eight suitcases for the two of them on a trip. And that blew my mind. And I don't know how many of you follow Rick Steves, but uh, if you've heard about his traveling all through Europe, he highly recommends carrying one carry-on and a backpack for a three-month trip to Europe. And Rick Steves' organization skills, I mean, are incredible. So I always feel like I'm learning new stuff and, you know, trying new things. And he sets the bar high for us. And I'm contrasting that with, you know, one carry-on and a backpack for three months in contrast with eight suitcases for two people on a trip. Um, I know that would be straight to divorce court for me if I took eight suitcases or four suitcases on a trip. Yeah, I think I think this ends up being who who is this book for? And it's clearly not for, you know, you, Usha. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't written for you. And it was written for a very, you know, like probably upscale suburban, you know, environment and uh, and and one in which that aesthetic of like, you know, they, they, the thing I liked about the book was was actually the focus on kind of the Roy G. Biv style of styling, and it's something that I have adhered to for my entire since I can remember. Uh, I just like ordering things in that you know sense, and and so like that makes that was just very logical to me, and it it wasn't new to me at all. But it was like, oh yeah, that's like that's yeah. the way it should be, uh, and. I'm not particularly like a white walls person, although we have very light gray walls in our home that haven't really been painted since we moved in. Uh, <laughs> um, we will eventually paint the walls, uh, you know, some color. But um, but I, I found I found the the things that I found 
interesting about the book were that I felt like the book itself was kind of a coffee table book, you know, something that you would have kind of in your living room. People would flip through and they'd pick out a couple of things while they're sitting, having coffee or drinks with you at a, at a cocktail gathering. That's what that book was for. Um, and it really wasn't for you to digest a lot of material. And it was really about them in the sense of telling their story and what led them into doing what they do. It's, it really is a calling card. I feel like this book is a calling card to their services for the elite and giving people enough to know that they know what they're talking about and that, you know, you have that capability. And, you know, I come from a business marketing space where writing a book is a calling card. And so you're giving enough information to be useful to people, but not enough that you are I'm going to do it all yourself, right? You you either um, realize that you're overwhelmed by the project, and so you're going to hire somebody, and this is going to prompt you to do so. And hopefully, by virtue of reading that author's book, you are going to hire that person to do that work. So I, I saw it through that lens, lens, which, again, Usha, you're talking about the kind of the commercial intent of the book, and that didn't that didn't detract for me um, in that sense, but but it was certainly present. You know, I knew it was there. And again, just going back to the, the aesthetic component, um, I would recommend to anybody who did see the book and saw a lot of what Linda was talking about in terms of just like white walls and, you know, whatever, um, go to their Instagram profile because they do have such a complement of, of different designs and different pieces that they've put together. And it really is a well-curated Instagram profile. That's interesting. And why didn't they put that in the book? I mean... I no. literally got bored. I was just like, I cannot look at one more. I mean, if you have a whole chapter of, uh, let's see, what am I looking at right now? Office. I mean, you have a whole chapter and they all look exactly the same. It's like, what's to be gained from that? If they, I mean, they do have pictures that are different. Why don't they put it in the book? I don't get that. And That's- I would imagine that it was a design choice that they wanted to, they wanted to keep the book kind of that aesthetic throughout. Yeah, I felt like it was an Instagram book. It was like, this is like the kind of stuff you see on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with the style. It's just like, it's the only choice in here. So it's like, you can't look at different ways people might have organized their papers because they're all the same. And, and to be honest, like they, they, um, they grew, they gained success through Instagram. So I guess maybe part of that is built into this in some, some way. Um, they have have 5.4 million followers on Instagram as the time of recording. And I, you know, it's astonishing that, you know, the business started, you know, as an introduction between a mutual friend that they met on Instagram and, uh, and, you know, six years later, here they are with a Netflix special and, you know, millions of, of, of followers on Instagram and doing, doing really well in that sense. Um, obviously there was a celebrity component here that I'd like to talk about also, but I feel like because of their Instagram influence, they, that's, I think that's why the book is informed by that background. And yeah, that's why, like I, when I, when I listened to the audiobook and then, and then got the physical book, I realized, oh yeah, this is a coffee table. This is like a photo book, you know, like it's not a, this wasn't meant to be like a really in-depth, like Miss Minimalist or Julie Morgenstern or, uh, what's the name of the, the, um, um, fly lady or any of those. It's like, it's not, it's not rich material. It's just light touch stuff to be able to give you enough. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head though. I mean, Usha's question about who are you writing to? They're writing to Gwyneth Paltrow and her 
colleagues and letting them know I can make your house look like this. Just call me. Right. I mean, really, I think you hit the nail on the head and, yeah. and that's great for, I mean, but uh, it didn't really help me because <laughs> right. Gwyneth and I are in a different uh, bracket. But even otherwise, it's back to, you know, does it fit your values, systems and base, right? So let me just add one more comment. And then I know Rhonda at least seemed to be trying to say something. So um, I'd like to give her a chance to speak here. Uh, one other comment that hit my eye was where they talk about color coordinating toy shelves, including books. And I'm thinking to myself, when was the last time you had kids who worked with it? Because I don't spend that much time with my grandkids, but when I do, it takes less than 10 minutes for all the books to be out of the shelf, no matter how well organized it is. And then it takes hours to put everything back. And unless you have a full-time help and all they're going to do is organize it back for color coordination, or if you're going to stage your home for something, you know, then it makes sense. But Color-coordinated books are only for people who don't read. (laughs) literally how do you find the book if you you have 12 books on a shelf and you're really aesthetic and you really don't read color coordinate your books if you have 12,000 books don't do it you will not find your book again or you have to like you have to shuffle everything you know I mean we have entire bookshelves dedicated to certain types of books if we color coordinate our books they'd be lost for good I mean you'd have to have a card catalog Yeah, the, the Roy G. Bibb thing, Ray, that, that you mentioned, that was kind of the biggest takeaway for me. I had not seen that before, you know, the suggestion that you organize, you know, whether it's books or, or whatever it be, according to the rainbow that you put to, you know, the, the red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet to line them up in that order and that it's more appealing if you do that. So I thought, well, but I agree, you know, if, you, if it's books, that's not going to help me find the book. And it's just going to make putting the book back more cumbersome. Well, if you could convince the publishers to organize books by color, <laughs> like their covers, yeah, maybe it would work, A's, but that's not you know, how it the, works. The A's could be red and the B's could be orange. Yeah. yeah, but then the colors would match, but the size of the book or the height of the book well, would match. And that would be and more of an ISO for me, so... Yeah, it's actually it's actually the, the, so there's a couple of missing elements there that they don't necessarily talk about, which which is really important, which is that, you know, white isn't represented. Um, uh, all the browns um, are kind of like in that middle ground space there. Um, and so that's not represented. And then, of course, black. And so when you do Roy G. Biv, like you have to decide where whites, browns and blacks go in that, or, you know, in that organization. And I've chosen to put it in the, the yellow space for white and then over on the far end do browns and, and blacks. And so my, my colors, like in my closet, have that order. And that's just the way I've decided. So it ends up being, you know, Roy, white, and then Biv, and then brown and black. And that's kind of like the, the order in which I've chosen to do that. Um, but then it's also about size order, which is you want things to kind of flow from, and this is a, a Marie Kondo talks about this in her Marie method of like having a flow of sizes as well, so that things kind of have a nice um, visual organization flow wise. So if things are going to be out of color, they should at least have a, a size flow. So are you doing that within, uh, are you categorizing them and doing the Roji Biv within a category or are all the clothes just? Yeah. So pants together, dress pants are all together, together and then they're t-shirts color. together. Yes. And, and it, well, cause you know, I don't want to, I and don't it makes want sense for clothes because you yeah. select your clothes a lot of times by color, right? Yeah. What you want Socks, colors that are going to go together. Pants. 
Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I don't see myself doing that, say, in my pantry or in those kinds of places. I'm not one to want to visually organize things by, like, I have of the things I have in canisters in the kitchen that are clear glass or like our coffees, our, uh, some of our grains, you know, some of our flowers, but those are done for purposes of, of sealing in, um, sealing out air. You know what I mean? They have that little suction thing. So it helps us pump out right. the air, uh, to keep it fresher. It's not for, it's very functional. I'm a very functional person. So I'm, you know, like I don't lean into the aesthetic as much, but I did lean into that for clothing, definitely. Like it stood out for me. But that it's functional look. for clothing and for art supplies. There's certain things that color matters yeah, and it yeah. is functional for that. But for books, it doesn't make any sense to me because yeah, books like, are not about the color of the spine. <laughs> yeah. And I don't order Especially my Especially when most of them are brown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even fit in. Yeah. yeah. Um, Rhonda, did you have any thoughts about the book that you wanted to share? Um. Well, you know, it seems to me to be a big advertisement for the container store, like rush out to the <laughs> container store, buy yeah. every little sorting container that you see. So there's definitely a lot of cross-branding going on with the consumer market. And, there, there, you know, she does have a section that she says the top five things to avoid doing so that you don't run out of space. So that's like her, you know, contribution to sustainability of what she's doing is it's like, you know, you can buy everything you want and put it in the containers and that's your limit. And, you know, that's as limited as it gets. It's not, um, but you know, it's, it's something it's, it is something. And then the other thing is about the packaging. Like when you take the, the, the spaghetti out of the package you don't know anymore is it Ronzoni or something else. So you lose, you lose connection with the brand. So that's not so good for the companies who want people to know, you know, what company this spaghetti comes from. Now, like I personally, you know, prefer to buy things in bulk. I go to the health food store and I go to the bins and for $1.99, I can get a lot of stuff, but this is not the crowd that she's catering to people who are, you know, uh, tight on a budget, but tight, you know, like have to keep to a tight budget, but it sort of introduces people to that thinking, you know, separating the brand from the spaghetti, let's say that all this is really is spaghetti. And you're going to put this into this container store bin. All these are magic markers and you're going to put this into the bin so in a way, that is a message, you know, about being simpler and um, having more simplicity in, in your life. So, you know, I see, you know, I see that there, there are some, some things she does mention about sustainability without throwing the word out there, which might turn off a lot of her, her customers. Absolutely. Yeah. One, one thing that uh, you said really um, also triggered the fact that I use the packaging, the UPC barcode on packaging for tracking food and also for my grocery app. And so I am frequently... For this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm scanning those labels. <laughs> like if I eat something and I put five ingredients into it, I can just quickly scan it and then it helps me build inside of the nutrition app the things that I've 
then eaten and I can then know what my caloric intake is and I can tell what macronutrients I've eaten. I can't do that if they're all dumped into containers that I don't know they're of, you know what I mean? And like, you know, grains or beans or those kinds of things, that's easy. You could say a cup of, of lima beans or a cup of, you know, red beans or whatever you can, you know, the system knows those things. But there are some really unique products out there that are not in, you know, not easily identifiable. Like, you know, if you have a mixed product, you know, like, some kind of mixture of things. How do you know what the calor- calories are for that thing and how what are the macronutrients available? And it's only through that UPC barcode that you can really quickly identify it. And so I wouldn't do that either. I'm just not, I'm not inclined to um, increase the amount of work to identify like, okay, these five pieces of quinoa and these five, you know, these, these pieces of arugula together equates to, you know, 110 calories or whatever. It's just too much work. So it's also uh, kind of, assuming you have a staff to <laughs> degrocery your food for you. I mean, really, I mean, groceries no. is like, if I were to take everything I bought in a bottle or a container and put it in a no- new container, which to me is not uh, ecologically sound, right? Because it already has a container. Why am I putting it in a different container? Um, I need a staff to do that. I need a, a, a kitchen staff <laughs> to do that each week. I wouldn't do it myself. Now, see, if you were Gwyneth Paltrow, you wouldn't even have to think about it, right? I know, but I don't sing and dance as well as she does, so I'm stuck here. Yeah, well, I want to piggyback to what Rhonda said um, a couple of minutes ago, because one of the comments I wrote that, oops, and my phone's going to screensaver mode, so hold on a second, got to pull it back up. Uh, Somewhere in her book, and I read this a long time ago, so bear with me, She, uh, the authors talk about printing all of the email. And I don't know if you remember that part of it, but to me, that sounded a little archaic in this day and age, and especially considering, you know, environmentally friendly and, uh, you know, not cutting down trees and things like that. Uh, That didn't sit too well with me. And I don't remember the exact context for it, but I just wrote that down. Where did you read that? I didn't catch the It was in the book. Something about printing. In in this book? yeah, in the book. Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't remember. I didn't. It was. I didn't I'll tell you that. exactly where it was, also, because I've got the before and the after. It was after the eight suitcases, but it was before the office snacks were nicely arranged. So it was right in between somewhere there. So those of you who have the physical book can look at it. I I borrowed the book from the uh, library. Uh, so that's what I've gotten to doing. It's because kind of like you, Linda, my house is filled with books. And right now, I think what we have to do is get rid of a lot of books before we bring new ones in. So unless it's fantastic, I tend not to buy the book, just get it from the library or do ebook. Well, this is the project I'm working on right now. It's organizing my house. So I was very excited when you picked this book because I was like, yes, yes. I did appreciate about this book, uh, the talk about letting go of guilt and all that kind of emotional stuff. And if that's an issue, they don't really tell you how to do that. They just say, don't feel guilty. Um I, I will advocate for Julie Morgenstern's um, Organizing from the Inside Out, which is a very old book, but it tells you, actually gives you a way to get, go through the emotional things that are holding you back from organizing your space. So um, she actually goes through that in that book. But I appreciated that in this book. And there were there were moments when I was like, oh, that's helpful. That's helpful. But um, I kind of wish that there was more of those moments and less. You were pic- I love pictures, so don't get me wrong. And I don't, it's not that I don't like this aesthetic. It's that it's just too much of the same thing for me. Mm-hmm. I like more variety. Give me, you know, something. That's why this picture of the gray closet was like very exciting to me. It's like, oh, it's all in gray. <laughs> you know, Still monochromatic, but it's all in gray. 
<laughs> you know, I, I wonder if when it's, um, you know, the pictures we see that once everyone leaves, what it looks like the next day, the next week, you know, does it always look like that or, or did it just look like that for the picture? Well, they, they, they do advocate the idea that this is supposed to be a long-term solution. I, I find that to be... You know, they, they even said in one part of the book, you know, we came back and made sure that the the work we did stayed. And, uh, you know, we come I, back I, periodically and, yeah. and fix it for you. That's <laughs> for why I like Julie Morgenstern so much because of the kindergarten uh, concept, which is basically things go where you use them. So you create stations like you have a, mm-hmm. a baking station and you have a whatever. It depends on what your activities are. But for each activity, you group the things and that really helps me because I always ask myself, why is this thing here and where am I using it? And that's what I learned from her was like, okay, this is not in the right place. And efficiency wise, like, okay, I have to walk, you know, 20 feet to get something to do this when I should have it stored right where I'm using it, you know, right yeah. where I'm using it. So that kindergarten method to me is is gold. And yeah. a lot of these new organizing books don't do that. They just basically say, put things back where they belong. Well, mm-hmm. if they aren't where they, if they're, if their home is not where they should be, if their home is wrongly placed, it's never going to stick. Yeah. The home has to be the place that you're actually going to put it. So if you're always setting something down on the counter and not putting it back where it belongs, maybe it needs to be somewhere near that counter, um, have a home because that's where its home should be. Anyway, I'll finish yeah, my. I think the, the easier it is to maintain, the better the chances that it will be maintained. But if you have a staff, this will be maintained. Don't worry. That's, they're being paid <laughs> to maintain it for you. So it's easy. Well, one, one of the first things that I ever learned from David Allen and then ultimately learned from the concept of mise en place from Work Clean by Dan Charnas, which goes under a different title, I forget, Everything in Its Place by Dan Charnas also, it was this idea of having everything that you're doing work-wise in arm's distance and that you shouldn't have to cross your arms in order to access things that you use with one particular hand or the other. Right. And I, I, yeah, Mm -hmm. I've really worked hard to make my, my working environment like that so that everything that I'm doing has even to the extent that having, you know, the extra, I have an extra laptop that is up on a, on a stand here that I can reach here and type on it. And so I put it on an arm so that I could bring it closer to me because it's not my primary device, but I still want to be able to utilize it when I do, but I don't need to be reaching, you know, and moving my body, you know, in a way that's inefficient and potentially dangerous for me. And I can pull out my back and those kinds of things from just like hyperextending, um, having it in a place where I can access it easily and comfortably and fluidly is just really, really important. And so I've really thought that through with regard to my desk layout. And this conversation is kind of prompting me to, to think about that in really other other paradigms, certainly the kitchen, because I just don't, I don't think that I have organized the kitchen in such a way that is as efficient, you know, considering the mise en place concept is about cooking and, and uh, you know, how chefs and cooks uh, organize their space to be efficient. But I've thought about that very much on in my working environment, but I haven't really thought about that in my in my um, kitchen. So I, that that prompts me to, to think about that. Can you repeat the name of that book? Yeah, that Work Clean. Just- Work Clean. By Dan Charnas. I think it's probably one of the best organizational and productivity method books next to David Allen's uh, Getting it Things is, Done. Yeah. Hey, maybe we can read that book next. We did already. Well, actually, we yeah, we. Oh, uh, Ray, you just have to Ray listen to the podcast. Yeah, 
Yeah, we, Ray and I did an episode on that. Yeah, but we could, we could we could circle it around maybe in in twenty twenty two as a book discussion for the group. It's a really really good book. Mm-hmm. Okay, could you put the name say, in the chat box? Yes, okay, I was you. I was going to say I did appreciate about this book the emphasis on labels because I think that mm-hmm. you know and it wasn't new to me because ever since I read David Allen I have gotten more obsessed with labels. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciated that part of it because I do think that's really important. We were talking about food and like, I, I found the perfect curry and, you know, I bought it in bulk. So I had to put it in a container and you, I put the name of that curry on the label, not just the word curry, because I don't want to forget mm-hmm. the name of that curry. It's the best curry in the yeah. world, right? It's perfect. So, yeah. you know, it's like labeling is just, is is so helpful. And I appreciated that in this book. Mm-hmm. Hey, on the note on the um, uh, topic of labels, um, I looked at a few labelers, at least the reviews and like anything, uh, I've seen a mix of reviews, none where people were happy or raved about it. Uh, if some of you have labelers that you've been really happy with, uh, could you put that in the chat box, please? Because I definitely need to get, thank you. Yeah. yeah. You know, and out in the, the garage, my goodness, to have that little bag that has these screws in it. You know, that label that says that these are the extra screws for the bed in the guest bedroom. You know, you know that when you put them in the little bag, you don't know that five years later. <laughs> so, right. Take, that's so true. Taking so true. the 30 seconds to label something so that you or somebody else will be able to look at it at any point and go, okay, yeah, that this is what these are for. Yeah, I tend to put them in the box that they came in, but then it drives my husband crazy because now we've got all these empty boxes sitting around. <laughs> so I've gotten to the habit of putting them in Ziplocs or whatever with the date and what it is. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the compromise we struck in between. Yeah, and I think when you have, you know, David Allen will tell you, you know, when you have a nice labeler, then you're more inclined to label things than when you're looking around going, oh, well, let's put a piece of masking tape on it and here's a magic marker. Yeah, and I think too, when you have a labeler, it, you more liberally, liberally late. Okay. We can't say that, but you know what I'm saying? Because, okay, I'm going to label it, but I can always go back and pull that label off and relabel it. Yes. I mean, those labels come on and off easily and you, or you can go over the label if you're doing it on paper and it's going to tear, but it just makes it like, if you're writing on a file folder, a lot of times I've seen where people don't write anything on the file folder because it's not permanent. So they don't want to mess up the file folder. But if you put a, it's, I just think a labeler is, oh, how does, how do people live without a labeler? Worth That's what I want to know. Gold. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so one thing that there, there is, and I, I'm guessing you can find that at the container store. Uh, <laughs> or but, buy it through their website. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, you could probably find this in many places, but they have, uh, these labels and actually Michelle Gunn from the GTD virtual study group is the one who introduced me to them. She came to a GTD NYC meetup once and we were, we were doing something and she pulled out these labels and they allow you to use a Sharpie to write on the label. And then you can just use an eraser and erase the label off. So there are these like labels you can put onto file folders, onto drawers, onto any number of things, write on them and then erase it basically. Like a dry erase for Sharpie. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Exactly. And so 
I then purchased them for our name tags because we would have people coming in and going and, you know, from the meetups, many times they would have a label, you know, they would have one and whatever. So people who came regularly, I made regular ones for them. But for our guests, I then had the the special label, they could write it on there. They didn't come back the next time, fine, erased it, and the next person could be using it. And that way we didn't, we weren't, you know, wasting paper for no reason. So, so does it stick like a, sharp, like a Sharpie or does it stick like dry erase? Because I know dry erase, if you touch it, it's gone, right? Does, yeah, it's, it's, it's on there. Like it's it on does, there until you take it off. Yeah, you have to use cool. one of those art erasers, you know, the ones that kind of like, yeah. you know, like um, it's the white version, like the, not the, not the cream or beige colored ones, but that you know, heavy duty eraser, but like you erase it and it comes right off and you can use any number of color Sharpies. You can use silver Sharpie, black Sharpie, whatever. And, uh, and that's been really useful. So if you are thinking about labeling things, but you're concerned about the, um, you know, permanence of that label and, or it changing, you can use those, those labels that are available. Uh, for for that, I so, would love so. to get the name of those. I will find. Would, I will. Find yeah, it, 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 maybe I, on PPC. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So so labeling, of course, is is a huge um, component of what they talk about. We talked earlier about them talking about the component of really emptying everything from whatever space it is that you're working on, and then organizing from there. And I think that's a pretty tried and true process and then uh, we also kind of touched on the idea of paring down this this notion of deciding on what it is that you actually need and um, and and doing things with them that will help you get rid of things more easily i like in the book they talk about the idea of what do they call it like stuff purgatory or something like that where they you know if the kids have not played with something in a while just put it in some some purgatory some space where it's not going to be accessible and then if they don't play with it for the next few months they don't ask for it they don't they aren't bothered by it then you can easily go ahead and uh, discard of that by by going and giving it to goodwill or you know um, you know putting it on eBay whatever you want to do with it with your stuff but I like that notion that if you haven't touched it in a year or three years or whatever, you probably don't need it unless it's a family heirloom. <laughs> You're not going to miss it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I did, I did it again. None of these are new concepts to me, but it was a refresher of the, of the point that there are probably some things that I have that I should just go through and it'll be just a nice opportunity to say, okay, you know, we, we've moved in the last you know year and a half. So, We've already done quite a bit of getting rid of things in that process once we got here, but stuff accumulates very fast, especially during a pandemic. So yeah. I, w- I want to go through and just say like, okay, what did we buy during the pandemic that was just kind of like, this was a, a comfort purchase, like, oh, I'll buy, you know, just to get this and then decide on what things need to go. Uh, certainly in my own clothing, I know that there's a lot of things that need to just be organized and then purged. And thankfully we have a goodwill like two blocks away. So, yeah. <laughs> so I could take it right over there. But that was a reminder in the book to to kind of think through that process. I have to say that, and I don't think they talk about this in this book, but the most helpful thing that I've learned recently is uh, to, and I learned it from you, Ray. So I think you're the person, I'm 100% sure that it's you, um, to map your house. Because I have a large house and I, we have a lot of things and we we basically have the equivalent of an art store in our art studio. I mean, you want to do a project, you don't need to buy anything. It's all there for any kind of art that you want to do. You want to be a potter, anything. So, um, yeah. So we mapped our studio 
and have not had a frustrating moment since. We put it on Trello and we have pictures. It's just amazing because there's like, oh, where's the crepe paper? And just search for the word crepe in Trello and it shows you everywhere that that is and all the pictures and you can just see what you have. So I just highly recommend for people, people, I guess, who would read this home edit book, people who have large spaces with lots of stuff and, you know, not someone who is, has a tiny space that mapping your space is very helpful. If you have a lot of things that are not visible to the naked eye and need to be stored away. Yeah. I'm recognizing that now that we've moved into a place that is technically um, larger, uh, not the same. It's the same amount of living space, but still larger because the space is just like oddly organized and just mapping out where everything is in the house and then making a determination to tell everybody that these are where things go. Uh, and you know, like, because they're, you know, not everything works flow wise for us. Unfortunately, they're just like closets in weird places and lacks of closets in places where there should be one, uh, like where's the coat closet in this house, you know, like <laughs> just, oh, right. It's up two flights and in, in some back hallway, it's just very, very weird. Awesome. Uh, and so, you know, having the ability to map it out and say, okay, this is where those things go. And we're all just going to agree. And this was in the book actually, where they talked about it, like, okay, everybody just agree that this is the way we're going to do things, you know, and that, you know, we, we, we think about that when it comes to the utensil drawer in the kitchen, you know, we, we have a utensil drawer, the, the forks are going to go here, the knives. Everybody spoon. agrees. Yeah, yeah. Everybody agrees on that. Yeah. And so let's do that on a macro level. And I thought that message in the book was one that I actually hadn't heard before. And you triggered that for me, Linda, which is like, oh yeah, that's right. If we can do that on this macro level, then we can do this on, on on, uh, on this micro level, we could do this on the, this macro level as well. And uh, in in on, in our place, we don't have cabinets in the bathroom. They're all drawers, which is a very weird design choice on the part of the architect. And so we have all of these uh, drawers in the vanity. And so like medication, everything, you know, all of those like things have to be in drawers and it's just weird because they're deep drawers too. So it's like, how do you, or, you know, so we had to get like stacking bins and that kind of thing. And so I'm, I'm in the process of actually mapping it out in a similar way so that we can say, okay, all the band-aids need to go in this bin, right? Let's not put them in five different drawers in five different places. Raymond wants to find the band-aid he's looking for in one place. <laughs> And so let's just, let's just all decide to do that. And so I think it's a really, really powerful uh, notion there. And you know, if you've ever organized and then you couldn't find anything, that's because you've broken the habit of where that thing normally is lying about or whatever, whatever. And your brain can't remember all that. It can't remember every place that you put everything. So mapping it, or if you have multiple household members and somebody's organizing and the other person isn't, a map is really helpful because they don't need to come and say, where'd you put the, where'd you put the, why'd you put that there? You just look it up and it's, and they find it as opposed to, you know, having that conversation where it's like, you know, oh, I, really, I really wish, where my, did my, what you call it go? You moved it. Yeah. I really wish my parents would do this to their house. Hey, Linda, building on to what you just said, one of the things I did a long time ago was in the refrigerator, mark the different sections for where the mm. breakfast items go, where the salad dressings go, and you know where the cheeses go, because inevitably we'll have you know house guests and they look for something, they put it back somewhere else, so they'll say, "Oh, where's the jelly?" And you know, I so just did I, that I mean, to I've my pantry for over ten years. I just did that to my pantry. Labeled the pantry shelves. I reorganize the pantry probably every three months because it gets messy and it's 
ever since I labeled it, it's the same as it was the day I organized it because everybody knows where they're supposed to go. And we're just putting the things back where they belong. But when it was just kind of like, oh, the stuff, this stuff goes here, this stuff goes there, but there was no label, people didn't follow it. If you see it, it looks like there's something in the brain that says, okay, it says, you know, nuts go here. You're going to put the nuts there. But if there's nothing there, yeah, it's kind of, you know, my pantry's just shelves. I don't have boxes in there. It's just shelves. I don't have Gwyneth Paltrow's pantry. Sorry. <laughs> but, it, but it brings up a couple of interesting pointers here. One is that I really believe in having your digital and physical world match up. And in, in some way, shape or form, you need to be able to create that synchronicity so that if you are organizing, say, documentation associated with your physical space, make sure those things actually line up as best as you can as well. Titling them the same, those kinds of things can be really helpful. And also using iconography, uh, you know, just like using emoji in your mapping can be useful because that will quickly trigger for you where things are that may be not as uh, readily um, you know, identifying for other members of the family. Also remember that if you do do a map digitally, that allows you to be able to put different names. So for example, I might be looking for walnuts and I may not think to look for where the nuts are, or maybe I decide to be fancy and be like legumes and, you know, put legumes as the, as the area in the pantry that it is. But you're like, no, I'm just looking for the nuts and you keep typing in nuts and they're not coming up and you're like, where the heck, are, where did, where did Linda put them? You know, uh, now if you just um, put different reference of the um, terms in the digital document, then you can quickly filter to those and you're not getting lost and frustrating the other people. Uh, I know that one of my clients, the, the two different, um, you know, people who lead the organization think about their worlds so very differently. And so they organize everything in different ways. And so I just told them, you know, you need to just cross-reference, create an index or whatever, so that when someone puts something in something, look up what they would put it as. And now they have a master document. And it's basically, a, a it's a legend, right? It's an index for the way the other person thinks about terminology and organization. Mm -hmm. And that it's like, it's a map to help you translate the other person's organization pieces. And now it's remarkable, all of the fighting, I would come to this organization, they would always be fighting, where'd you put this document? Oh my gosh, you know, so and so put it in this particular place, it doesn't belong in there, it belongs in this fifth subfolder in this other place, right. And now that they have this document, they both know when they put things in their own place, now they know how to translate that. And it's really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I just, really I, I, yeah, I like I like iconography. And I like the idea of making sure that you're using terms, you know, just even an index so that you're capable of searching for those things, especially in a digital space, and then synchronizing them. Color is really helpful here. And something that that was triggered also in the book for me was the the idea that while to date, I have had things like green in the Roy G. Biv has been for my finance and money folders for time immemorial. Mm -hmm. But that's not where they show up in the order of things in my color system. And so if I reorganize everything as Roy G. Biv, then I'm, I'm interested to see whether, because I only have 13, maybe 15 uh, categories at the high level. If I reorganize those as Roy G. Biv, different shades going down that line, and then I matched it up with, say, the way in which I do my clothes or, you know, other areas where I do have color coordination, calendars, you know, Google Drive, Dropbox folders, local drives, all of those are colored in the same ways. If I reorganize them as Roy G. Biv, I wonder if they'll actually be easier for me to find going forward because the colors are not in a logical order. They're just in the same order 
because I chose that, you know, productivity is orange, you know, uh, money and finances are green, green. you know, blue is for yeah. home. You know, I just made those, those decisions and they were random. So creating some level of order there, I feel like will be interesting to me. All right. We are coming up on our time together and I wanted to make sure we just do a quick round of recommend or not recommend. Usha is a not recommend. So that's a, that's a, that's a hard no. <laughs> uh, Dr. Buck, how about you? I, no, they're, they're better books. I I wouldn't spend the time on this. Anyone else? I'll I'll say if you can get it from the library or borrow it from a friend, flip through and it might inspire you or not. Um, but I did like their uh, suggestion: how to keep your entryway clean. Don't have kids. Check. <laughs> um, Rhonda, did you want to chime in? Well, I mean, if you have space in your house for it or on your Kindle or something, I'd say you know, go ahead and, and get it. It's an, it's a little, it's inspirational. It's a very colorful book and, you know, would, would fit well, maybe not forever on your coffee table, but maybe for a month or so, then I'd get bored of it. <laughs> I, w- I would say that this book is, is good for a number of things. One, yes, definitely as a coffee table book for this era, right? Like the 2020s, um, late, late 20. 20- 10s, early 2020s. This definitely is for someone who is in interior design. This is an archetypal book of what happens when uh, Instagram meets literature uh, in quotations. And uh, and so that that's one thing that I think is really interesting from a design perspective. Is It's historical uh, record in that way. Uh, two is the authors are irreverent. They poke fun at themselves. They're incredibly funny people in real life. They clearly have a good bond with each other. And that comes across in the book. I really felt uh, a a sense of the authors and their uh, perspectives on both design and professional organizing. And that these are really smart business people. Uh, you know, they're they're just they're competent they're capable organizers and they're good business people they've built a really in, in, uh, powerful you know business behind and underpinning the whole home edit the home edit brand and so i can't knock them for doing something that is successful for them. It may not have been the best book for learning about organization uh, and, and organizing yourself, but there are some really good nuggets in there. So I would say that if somebody is interested in hiring a professional organizer and um, want just like, they want to know what they don't know before they hire an organizer, this might be a good touch point for them to be like, okay, these are things I don't like aesthetically. These are things that I do like aesthetically. And these are questions that I should actually ask the organizer before I hire them. This would be probably a good uh, primer you know, on the subject for, for that individual. And so I would recommend it to those people, but not particularly to the personal productivity enthusiast, those of us who are very steeped in organizational material, this would be um, a refresher, but it really wouldn't be a deep dive in that. And so I want to thank you all for joining me here for Productivity Book Group's discussion. We've reached the end of this book discussion about The Home Edit, A Guide to Organizing and Realizing Your House Goals by Clea Scherer and Joanna Teplin. But before we go, just a quick uh, reminder about a couple of things. 
we host quarterly live discussions of personal productivity books, just like the one we just discussed. And of course, you're invited. Simply head over to productivitybookgroup.org and visit the upcoming books page for full details. It has all the dates for the year. It has a handy Google Calendar that you can subscribe to in your own that'll automatically put the events into your calendar. Uh, they're also on productivitybookgroup.org. You'll also find all the past book discussions, our review episodes, and author interviews under episodes in case you can't find Productivity Book Group episodes in your own podcast app. You know, sometimes they cut them off at a particular limit. For our next reading, that'll be in September 2021. It'll be September 29th, 2021 at noon Eastern. We'll be discussing The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey, Dr. Stephen Covey, uh, the late Dr. Covey. This particular edition is the latest edition. So make sure you pick up the latest edition of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. If you've read a, a prior edition, I'm sure it'll be fine for purposes of the discussion. But we will be explicitly dis discussing the latest version of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen R. Covey. Also, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast on productivitybookgroup.org as well. So if you click on, if you go to productivitybookgroup.org, you will either see subscribe or follow, and you can go ahead and follow us in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it. Uh, instructions are there for you to be able to do so. And of course, if you leave a rating or review in your podcast app of choice, Apple Podcasts or otherwise, that really does help to bring and expand our readership and bring new readers and callers to the fold. And so thank you for spreading the word to help our productivity book lovers find each other. Uh, finally, we have a new digital community, or it's not as new anymore, but we do have a digital community. If you go to productivitybookgroup.org forward slash community, you'll be directed to the community to join. It's very easy. You can access on the web. You can also install the Android and iOS apps and discuss productivity book groups, reading selections, as well as any other productivity books that you might be reading throughout the month. And it's just a great place for us to be able to discuss productivity books and ask questions and engage in that way. And so with that, uh, thanks everyone for listening in here on Productivity Book Group. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. Here's to your productive life.